0: Heavenly Father, as we come to look at your word this morning, we pray that your spirit would speak to us. We thank you for the example of Abraham and we pray that our faith might be strengthened this morning. Amen. Well, as uh, Matt said to you, we are in this series concerning Abraham or Abraham, as he later became known. This is the second in the series. We're looking at Genesis 13, and I've called it, I've given it a title of Choices, Choices. Because Abraham believed God, and he is known as a great man of faith. We read in James 2, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So he's a great example, isn't he, for us to have if we are people of faith. And it's always good for us to look at him and to learn what the Bible tells us about him. But of course, this raises the question, what is faith? What does it mean When the Bible talks about faith. Well, again, returning to the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's being certain of what we hope for and of what we don't see. And we'll see that later, of course, fulfilled in Jesus. But the the ancients in verse two were commended for this and Abraham being one of them. And this, of course, is what this series is all about. It's all about faith and how it affects the life of Abraham and how is the example to us. But we may well say to ourselves, well, why is this important to us? Well, again, we read in Hebrews 11, verse 6, and the writer says this, without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those that earnestly seek him. And we shall see this in Abraham's life. But it's not, of course, just about what we believe, because we see also in, in James writes this, In chapter 2, verse 22, you see that his, that's Abraham's, faith and his actions were working together and his faith made complete by what he did. And in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. So it's the doing as well as the believing that's very important. So as I was praying and thinking about this, I was thinking, well, what does our faith look like? What's my faith look like? Is it belief and actions? Are we following God's commands? Am I following God's commands, both individually and as a church? Well, Adam, Abraham's faith and personality is seen through his actions that we see in these opening chapters of Genesis. Last week... Jonathan brought us the first in this series. And he showed us the rise of evil within mankind society. If you were with us, you will recognize this slide. He showed us how uh, uh, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, it's how Cain committed the first murder, and then the people were disobedient again to God, so God punished them with the flood. And then lastly, in chapter 11, we saw how the people tried to build a tower claiming their rightness to get to God by their own actions. All of these show how mankind rebelled against God. And then Jonathan brought us the promise that God gave to Abraham. If you remember, if you were with us, Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, And Jonathan made the point that this promise was personal. It was personal to the man Abraham, but it was also national. It referred to the people of God, and it was international in that it referred to all people. And we read in these first chapters that God spoke to Abraham. In verses 1 and 2, we have the first account of God speaking to Abraham. Now, we don't know how God spoke. Was it personal? It certainly wasn't through the written word like the Bible, because there wasn't anything like that. So it was probably in a physical way. But despite this, the important principle is given in these chapters, that of obedience for a personal faith. We're told that Abraham was obedient to God's instructions and he and his family left and traveled to Canaan, which would have taken a long time because they had to walk. It included a lot of effort and it probably included some opposition because the Canaanites lived there. So Abraham's obedience would have cost him. Again, in chapter 12, verse 7, we read that God appears to Abraham a second time. He appears again to repeat the promise that he made concerning the land and the offspring. And Abraham re- responds by building an altar. And we're told he actively calls upon the Lord. He actively calls upon the Lord. And so we read in chapter 12, verse 10 to 20, that despite these amazing events happening to him, they begin to suffer. They suffer because they depend upon the land. They depend upon the land for water and for food. And a famine develops. So what do they do? Well, they turn to the place where they know there's going to be a supply of water and food. Egypt a place of wealth and security, a place dominated by the worship of foreign gods. Now, as you look at chapter 12, you'll see there's no indication here that Abraham sought God's will concerning this meal, this move. In fact, he shows his human nature, his human shortcomings, because he portrays his wife as his sister. He tries to deceive Pharaoh because he believes that Pharaoh will hurt him if he doesn't. However, despite this, God blesses him because we read that while he was in Egypt, he gained lots of animals, crops, even gold and silver and servants. And then eventually, Pharaoh kicked him out of Egypt and he left taking all of those with him. So that's the background to our passage this morning. That's the background to our passage in chapter 13. So, what do we read in chapter 13? Well, we read that both Abraham and Lot were given blessings by God in Egypt. They had lots of animals. They had abundant flocks and tents. Abraham had been blessed with gold and silver because we're told in verse 2 that he was a wealthy man. Now, from these verses in chapter 13, we see something of the character of Abraham, of Lot, and equally of God. And so, as we look at these two men, we see that they have to make choices within their lives. Where are they going to live? So firstly then, the man Abraham, his commitment to God. Look at the first four verses. He appears to be a bit of a wanderer. He wanders not in the pleasant land, but in the Negev, which was a desert area. Okay, so it must have been pretty tough. But he ends up where he'd been before, between Bethel and Air. And here at the place, where he had built an altar to God previously, he again calls upon the Lord. He worships God, though we're not told what was really involved in this worship. But he had returned to the place where he had called upon the Lord before. Now, whether God had actually spoken to him at this place, we don't know. But we do know that this must have been a very special place for him, a place where he worshipped the Lord. And I thought again, isn't this a principle for us? Isn't this a principle? Isn't it good to return to places where we have met with Jesus? Perhaps we've been specially blessed. Perhaps if we can't physically return to an actual location, it's good when we can renew our relationship with Jesus, remembering when we first committed our lives to him. Because at the beginning of this story, We see Abraham's commitment to God. We also see, of course, the effect of God's material blessing upon these two men. The abundance of goods can lead to problems, even if it wasn't between Abraham and Lot itself. It can lead to trouble in big ways. The effect of their wealth led the workers, the shepherds and the herdsmen to dispute with each other concerning where the animals could feed because the pastures weren't sustainable for the numbers. And again, isn't this a principle that we often see within communities? Wealth and blessings can lead to envy, strife, jealousy, even within a church. Well, Abraham's character is seen in this situation where strife could have occurred and escalated, he seems able to diffuse the situation. There's one key part of his character that caused him to be able to do this. He was unselfish. He regarded others as better than self. And again, isn't this a general principle that we can encourage one another with within our community here? Paul writes the same to uh, the local church at Philippi. In Philippians 2, verses 3 to 4, he states, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so let us make this a prayer for each other and for the community of believers here that we call church. Isn't it a great thing that we can do? So Abraham's unselfish nature is not only seen in giving up, giving his nephew Lot the first choice in verse 9, but later we see in chapter 18 of Genesis that... uh, with his attitude towards the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. In chapter 18, it tells us that though the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked, he was concerned for them and he did what he could to spare them from the judgment which would later come upon them. But here we have it. Here we have the heart of this passage this morning. Abraham, the senior man, the man, as they would say in America, the senior man. He displays wisdom, concern, selfish genero- uh, unselfish generosity with Lot and his workers. Because he could have easily uh, called rank, couldn't he? He was the senior man. He could have declared what they were going to do to solve the problem. He could have laid down the law. They were not to quarrel. But no, he diffuses the problem by offering Lot the choice of where he could graze his animals and live. He offers him the choice of where to go. Look at uh, verses 8 to 9. You'll see that Lot chooses and then separates from Abraham. We see also that Abraham kept his word. In verse 12, he stayed in the land of Canaan, where the pasture and land were wasn't so good. But God didn't forsake him. He didn't forsake him. Look at verse 14. He made a promise to him again. He renewed the promise that he'd already spoken to him. He repeats the promise of lands and descendants, much land and many descendants. And these God will provide for him. But he also gave him an instruction. Verse 17, He was to go and walk around the land. He was to go and see all the land that God was going to provide. And so we see here that God's promises are immense and they look unlikely. At the point in time, Abraham was old. He had no children. He owned no land. So the promise looked unlikely. But we see that Abraham Obeyed God and he moved his tents to the place where God told him to go near Hebron, where again he worshiped the Lord through building an altar. Abraham showed consistency and obedience with his worship of God. And so, as we read these accounts, we see the character of Abraham, a man who was not perfect, he made mistakes. But a man who worshiped God, listened to and obeyed God, despite the fact that the promises looked impossible. A considerate and generous man. A man that we can have as a role model and learn from. So that's the first one in this passage. What about Lot and his character? Well, in Genesis, we're not told a great deal about Lot, apart from in chapters 11 and 12, the fact that he was the son of Haram, he was the grandson of Terah, and he was the nephew of Abraham. But he became a part of this large extended family household. And in so doing, he must have heard of the promises made by God to Abraham. He must have heard how God had met and spoken with him. He must have witnessed Abraham in the building of altars and his calling upon the Lord. However, there is no mention in this passage of him experiencing God, of having a relationship with God, of becoming a man of God, despite the fact that his uncle was. And of course, we may well see similarities here with, the, with, with children of Christian parents. As time goes on, as children may come to know and love the Lord Jesus, but some will drift away from Christian communities as they make their own choices. Lot went with Abraham to Egypt. Lot received similar blessings. We read that he had large flocks herds and tents, to such an extent that there wasn't room for both of them. Lot came to a point of choice between two roads. When Abraham gave Lot the choice as to where he could settle, we see something of his character. Firstly, there's no mention in his text at all that Lot sought the Lord. There's no account of his praying for guidance as to the decision he had to make. No, we read in verse 10 that Lot looked up. He had a great view of the surrounding countryside encompassing the Jordan Valley and the area around the north of the Dead Sea. And from the hills around Bethel, it would have been possible to see the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered, it had good pasture and what the animals needed. And it also contained some cities. He saw, in fact, that it was like the garden of the Lord a reference to Eden, where the men walked with God. But not only this, it was like the well-watered land of Egypt, a place of security and wealth. And some commentators make the point that this reference to Egypt also points towards foreign gods and a place of slavery. Using his own wisdom rather than gods, Lot chooses the obvious path to go, the path that will lead to wealth, prosperity and safety with less effort. A decision that many people would agree with. We can perhaps see the similarity here with the situation that Jesus talked about in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, where Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to light and only a few find it. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to salvation. Well, we see here that Lot choose the broad gate. Lot choose the broad gate. We can also see that Lot, Lot clearly saw the benefit of living close to city culture with its attractions, because we read in verse 12 that Lot lived among the cities, places which would have had a stronger economy and a cultured society, pitching his tents near Sodom, verse 13, where wicked men live. Such is their wickedness that the name Sodom and Gomorrah is synonymous in our language with wickedness. But there's no reference here to Lot becoming wicked But the warning many of us received as children, bad company, bad friends, leads to bad behavior and bad decisions. As one writer put it, no one deliberately chooses to become a drunk, a drug user, a prostitute, a murderer, or a thief. But those that pitch their tent towards Sodom and the powers of evil will overcome them. So here's a warning for all of us. Bad company can lead to poor decisions in life. As one commentator put it, this would be the danger for Lot and his family living close to wicked people. And the result of Lot's decision is seen in chapter 14, that he has to be rescued by Abraham when the men of Sodom are being defeated by the king of Elam. So in all our choices, this this principle should be one for us. What is best for us is what is best for our souls. Lot had a great opportunity to become a man of God as he walked with Abraham. But we don't read of Lot building an altar or calling upon the Lord. First, Lot looked towards Sodom, verse 10. Then he moved towards Sodom, verses 11 and 12. And then in chapter 14, verse 12, he moved into Sodom. Instead of being a pilgrim, he made progress. He regressed into the world away from God's blessing. He journeyed east and turned his back on Bethel, the house of God. So, within these 18 verses, then, we have a contrast between these two characters who have to make a choice in life of where they're going to live. Here's a summary that I made of the contrast between these characters. One a man of God, one a man of faith, and the other a man who pursued his own ends. So the question for us, of course, is which one do we resemble as we come to choices both individually and as a church? Do we follow Abraham's example of faith? So the question for us is, are we seeking the Lord and listening to his word, to what he is saying to him? Are we giving serious time in seeking the Lord's will? And having sought it, are we obeying the Lord in what he's telling us to do when the future looks difficult or unclear? Abraham didn't know what the journeys would be like, but he acted on the promises of God. So there's the two characters of Lot and Abraham. Lastly, within this passage, we see something of the character of God that Abraham worships through his actions and promises made to him. Firstly, we read that Abraham's God is a God who speaks. Not just once, but several times to Abraham. And this is something that we see throughout the Old Testament, that God speaks to his people sometimes through prophets, sometimes through the law, sometimes through the written word. God wants to communicate with his people. And, of course, we see this fully developed through the words and actions of Jesus. Jesus states that if we want to know what the Father wants and wills us to be, then listen to his words. The words of Jesus, the prophets and apostles, of course, come to us through the written word, that we have in the Bible, a record of these events. These words that Jesus spoke, the parables that he taught, the miracles that he performed, he speaks to us. Unlike other gods made by men of wood and stone that don't speak, the Holy Spirit inspired the writings found in the Bible which can still speak to us today. And that is why we are encouraging each one of us to Establish the practice of reading the Bible, what Matt mentioned earlier, a few minutes ago. Taking Bible reading seriously and praying through the Bible is to be an important part of our discipleship. And so, God speaks to us. But secondly, we see that God not only speaks, he makes and keeps promises to Abraham as recorded in chapter 12 and 13. But not only do they relate to Abraham, no, they relate to his people, his descendants forever and worldwide. And of course, they still apply to us today. Of course, they are fulfilled by Jesus who promises that God's kingdom is here today. So we can take these promises. We can have faith in the promises by accepting that Jesus is our saviour. We can confess our sins as we've done this morning. We can turn in faith, believing that Jesus' death for us on the cross took that punishment for our wrongdoing. We can believe that we have a God that promises that we can be a part of his kingdom here, now, through the death of and resurrection of Jesus. So like Abraham, this faith can then be demonstrated by what we do as well as what we actually believe. So as we think about our welcome course and as we think about going out into the local community, as we think about the holiday club, this is our faith being worked out. This is sharing the love of God with all those that we come to meet. Amen.